This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's June 2023. So we're going to look back on the merry month of May. Wasn't very merry for Meta and Facebook. The Irish Data Protection Commission in May, on May 12th, held that Meta ought to chip in 1.2 billion euros to the Irish Treasury. That's about 1.3 billion U.S. dollars. Not trivial. Well, what's this about? Really quite interesting. If you look into this, uh, the European uh, court ruled uh, about three years ago that the U.S. standards for protecting personal data aren't up to snuff with the way the EU views personal data. And they uh, overruled a kind of safe harbor that the United States government had worked out with the European Union. And since then, Meta, the owner of Facebook, has, has still been transferring, of course, huge quantities of personal data through the way it operates Facebook. And the Irish Data Protection Commissioner originally held that it shouldn't do that, and so it should suspend transfers, basically keep all that data about Europeans in Ireland or somewhere in Europe, but not fine Meta for that. But several of the other European data protection authorities, there are 47 that are involved here, 47 different ones, said, no, that's not right. That's not living up to what the court uh, declared. And... Uh, the European protection, Data Protection Board uh, in April of 2023 ruled, that's right, not only was suspension uh, required, but a significant fine as well. And a month later, on May 12th of 2023, the Irish Data Protection Authority uh, said, okay, we're going to follow what the European board told us to do, and the fine got issued. Now, the fine has been the headline here. But I think there really are two really important things that any business involved with personal data going back and forth between Europe and the United States ought to worry about. The first really interesting observation is this is a case where Ireland, which is the home of Meta and many of the U.S. and other giants in the tech field because of various benefits that are obtained if you use Ireland as your European base, not to mention the English-speaking nature of Ireland. And so Ireland's very protective. It's one of the home bases. But here, Ireland bowed to the ruling of the European court as to how it should enforce this. This is really quite interesting. And to me, it's a message that we now are clear. The GDPR is a European law. And Ireland cannot change too much from that, even to the extent. This would be like the United States telling a state prosecutor what sentence to impose on a criminal, in a way. This is very interesting, and it shows you the overwhelming preemption, in my mind, of GDPR throughout the European Union, including Ireland. And then the second one is really quite, quite important. One of the ways that countries outside of the EU have been able to say, well, we want to uh, be able to transfer data back and forth uh, between the EU and, and our country. And we will use the standard commercial uh, contractual clauses that the European Union requires. And they're in many languages. You can plug them in. If you say you'll follow them, it's always uh, been the thinking that you can then 
operate and data transfer to your country if you as a company are going to protect that. And yet, here the Irish Data Protection Commissioner observed that the 2020, uh, that the uh, the long longstanding uh, contractual clauses, standard contractual clauses, and the ones up, uh, upgraded in 2021, they cannot compensate for, I'm quoting, the inadequate protection provided by U.S. law, close quote. Well, you go let, here with me are Hugo Nagashima and Mike Natardi. Thanks, uh, Mike and Hugo, for joining us as we do every month. Uh, Hugo and Mike are key people in the data privacy and data security team at Frost Brown Todd, uh, a coast-to-coast law firm. Hugo, let me turn to you first. This idea that, you know, U.S. law is not protective enough, doesn't that raise the question whether you can transfer any personal data to the United States, no matter what protections you provide as a company? Right. So um, it, the scope is a bit more narrow, and I want to get into that first. So in order, f- I, I, what we have to understand is we have to go back to the Schrems 2 decision, right? And which said, why is U.S. inadequate? And one of the reasons was that U.S. has these intelligence agencies that can basically go to, you know, Facebook or go to Google and say, hey, you know, give us the information, it's national security. And there's a law called FISA, uh, which you have to, if, if the court says turn it over, you got to turn it over. But of course, not- And those are pretty company. private proceedings. That's part of the, uh, right. the issue, right? Yeah. Right. And not every company may fall under that because the FISA law requires an electronic communication service provider to comply with the- intelligence agencies, information gathering. So it's a little narrower, but however, there's an interpretation of, so what's an electronic communication service provider? And one interpretation, it's any company that even provides uh, email service, right? Electronic communications are happening. It's providing emails to its company employees, therefore electronic communication service provider. On the other hand, more of the academics and the policymakers have said, wait, 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 no, 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 no. That can't be the definition. It has to be telecommunications providers with something like Verizon or AT&T or like Google that offers the emails to everyone. There's, you know, case law on both sides. It's tough to tell. It's difficult to tell, but we're in uncharted waters now because it's not very clear as to which company falls in an electronic communication service provider. So, so maybe it's take, more narrow than one might think, but of course the U.S. and the European Union have yet to come up with the third attempt to create a safe harbor. Uh, there's a draft you can read, but it's not f- been formally adopted by either uh, the U.S. or the EU at this point, correct, uh, Hugo? That's right. The, tr- the transatlantic data transfer framework has, there's been a draft, uh, there's been support, but it hasn't been formally executed. And even when it is, we'll see what the European courts do. Well, lots <laughs> to think about. And Mike, let me turn to you. I mean, uh, in your practice, aren't standard uh, contractual clauses uh, what a lot of businesses go to? And say that we'll do that if if we can uh, freely then transfer uh, data from the European Union. Is this Definitely. all at risk now? Well, af- after the you know privacy shield being invalidated by Schrems 2, you know, uh, the, the easiest way for companies to then comply with 
some type of uh, transfer mechanism is through the standard contractual clauses. Um, and so, um, and then also doing you know, transfer impact assessments since SRIMS uh, to, to, to justify why the transfer is, is sufficiently protected by the transfer mechanism in this instance, standard contractual clauses. So, so I think that's all up in the air uh, through all these decisions is, is how the, the various entities other than the EC over in Europe uh, view the standard contractual clauses and the protection that it provides. The EC is the European Commission, but of course they That's supported right. yes. the first two uh, uh, re- regimens that the European courts uh, ruled, ruled against. Right, right. The EC, the European Commission, is obviously on on the side of getting a business deal done. Um, it's it's the other uh, parties, in, in particular the data protection authorities and the and the court uh, system that that has has usually looked askance at all these agreements. Well, a lot at stake here, the whole European-U.S. Uh, uh, flow of data, essentially, probably the largest in the world between two major blocks. So let's move in. Uh, let's move on. Uh, you go. Let me ask you, Washington State made a little bit of news in May of 2023. What is it? Yes. Uh, so right at the end of April and going into May, um, they passed the law, first, first of its kind, a state law called My Health, My Data my Health, My Data Act. That's right. Um, so what it is, is it regulates the health data of the Washington State re- residents, specifically on the processing, collection, and sharing and selling of person's health data. Well, but now, uh, hold on here. We already have HIPAA, federal law. Aren't we covered on health data? What, what, how does Washington get into the act here? Well, thank you for that question. So we may think that, but it's not necessarily that way. Yes, to the extent that HIPAA collects or HIPAA regulates uh, the collection and processing of health information by healthcare providers or what's called covered entities. And here, what the Washington state legislature targeted was the small businesses that do not fit nicely into the healthcare service providers, the healthcare companies, the insurance companies, where you have certain companies collecting health data uh, in order to make money off of that information that doesn't necessarily fit into the big framework of insurance companies and hospitals dealing with healthcare data. Right. And so that, and, and what entities are regulated under this? Uh, as you say, small businesses, uh, but just anybody, even if you have one customer in Washington? So that raises a very interesting point. Um, the businesses that are regulated, and there's there's two types. There's the regulated entities and there are small businesses who are regulated entities, but that doesn't have that much um, data. So first, the regulated entities are businesses in Washington that produce products or services that are targeted to Washington State. And they're processing collecting, sharing, or selling consumer health data. This would cover a data broker then. Right, of course. And now there's a small like a small business type. It's not an exception, but a little bit of a variety where the collection of that data is fewer than 100,000 customers and or the collection is half your revenue, but you're collecting fewer than uh, 25,000 customers, then you're a small business. Okay. And consumer health data, I assume that's a pretty long list. That is. <laughs> uh, but let me give you the highlights. 
as you would expect, anything about individuals' health conditions or treatments, uh, physiological, behavioral, medical interventions that one's having, surgery information, uh, any information on diagnosis. Here's an interesting one. This is unique, and I think this, this has an impact since the Supreme Court decision from last year, which is the diagnose, uh, sorry, the gender-affirming care information and reproductive or sexual health information is also considered uh, covered information under this law, the health information. And of course, there's other information such as biometric data and genetic data. And there's also the precise location information that could reasonably indicate a consumer's attempt to acquire or receive health services. And again, I think this is more tied to the reproductive health aspect of things, as we know that we have we have the um, decision that overturned turned Roe versus Wade. So I think it's tied somewhat to that. You're saying under Washington, sure. you take a, a, a woman or a man, for that matter, in Washington who doesn't want it known that as a couple or as an individual, uh, she or they are going to a a pregnancy advisor or to Planned Parenthood, you're saying that that is protected health data and should not be shared without what? I mean, what, what does the law require? Well, prior consent. So it's not like the general, uh, what we've been talking for a long time about CCPA or VCDPA, the Virginia law, or any of the state laws we've seen, you do have to receive prior consent before collecting or sharing. Actual consent. Actual consent. So someone who doesn't want it known that they're thinking of changing their gender or visiting Planned Parenthood doesn't give consent. And then if it gets transferred, uh, there's a risk there. And what happens if a business violates the law? So this is still unknown. All we know from the law is a violation is considered an unfair or deceptive act under the Consumer Protection Act. So there might be fines, there might be uh, criminal penalties, depending on what the unfair or uh, consumer protection act says about the unfair or deceptive act. Interesting. We'll find out. When does the law take effect? So it's it's a two-tiered system. That's why I explained there's a regulated entity and that there's a small business. For the regular uh, regulated entities, it's March 31st, 2024. And for the small business, it's June 30, 2024. Well, we'll see uh, what happens. And if other states begin to uh, follow this, I would think... Uh, States that are more supportive, for example, of uh, uh, gender uh, care, gender change care, and uh, pregnancy and the privacy of women uh, might want to take a look at this act. Yes. Uh, I think we'll see more of this, uh, these type of laws enforced, and we'll Very get a patchwork. Very interesting. Well, well, Mike, uh, let, me, let me turn to you now about the only state in the United States. It's actually not a state. It's a republic. And that's the Republic that's right. of Texas. Texas, what did it do in the month of May? Well, at the very end of the month, uh, May 28th, to be precise, the Texas legislature actually passed a Data Privacy and Security Act. And so it's been through both houses of the Texas legislature. And now it just awaits uh, Governor Abbott's signature in order to become law. And if it becomes law, it will go into effect on July 1st, 2024. About a year from now. And what, what's, uh, what's the potential impact? Well, you know, obviously, uh, we, we've seen a lot of laws passed this past year. This will take it to the, the 10th uh, state that would have a consumer. Uh, we're in double digits of double digits. codes. Okay. We're in double digits. Um, but, but another important aspect is it's a, it's, it's a big state. You know, obviously, it has a or, or a republic, if, you will, if, if we will. Um, and, and it has a large economy. And so it's going to 
have a large impact, uh, kind of like California. Um, and so commentators have already referred to this bill as the Virginia privacy bill, but it's more consumer friendly. OK, who will they, the, the bill apply to? Is it very well, similar to the other states? Or? That, that's, a, that's a great question. And an important part of this is that it is going to apply to consumers who are residents in, in the well, I'm sorry, that's that's who it's going to be protecting. It's going to apply to companies that are conducting business in Texas or producing a product or service that is available uh, and consumed by residents of Texas who also process or engage in the sale of personal data. OK, and so but but it's limited to companies that are not otherwise defined as a small business under the U.S. Small Business Administration's definition of a small business. Which Texas is, adopted a federal uh, definition, right? That's exactly right, and and, and that's an interest, and it's also an interesting definition because depending upon where you look, that can have several different permutations. But but a, a general answer is to say it's it's a company that has uh, under 500 employees, but it can also be industry specific. So that that's going to be an open question of of who's considered a small business under this law. Um, interestingly. Even if you're not covered by the law because you're, quote unquote, a small business, uh, you're still going to be covered by one part of the law, which would restrict you from uh, selling sensitive information without getting the consumer's consent. So even small businesses are going to have to do that under this law. Okay, personal data. What's the definition and is it much different from what we've seen so far? Not really. I, I did think one thing was was actually interesting, though, is that uh, under the law, personal data is defined as information, uh, including sensitive data that is linked or reasonably linkable to any identified or identifiable individual. But then it goes on to say the term includes pseudonymous data when the data is used by a controller or processor in conjunction with additional information that reasonably links the data to an identified or identifiable individual. So, the so fact that if you get a, a pseudonymous data, but you can trace back who is it really, then that, that's covered. That's exactly right. There is a provision in this law that allows organizations, controllers and processors to use pseudonymous information as long as they are restricting it, restricting other identifying information from that information. Now, it, it, it talks about, quote, sale of personal data, close quote. Is it yeah. just sales or what, what, what's the definition? Of that? Well, this, the, the, it does talk about the sale, but a sale would be uh, the sharing or disclosing or transferring of that personal data for monetary or other valuable consideration. So it, it kind of think of the, the definition under the CCPA before the CPRA amended it. Um, and, and so it's, it's not just selling for money. It's any type of sharing that that will also include some type of uh, other consideration. And the law, I assume, gives, so you tell me if I'm wrong, it, it gives consumers the rights we've seen in other state laws, such as knowing uh, what's happening to your personal data, to correct inaccuracies, to delete uh, uh, data in certain circumstances and this sort of thing. Anything peculiar about the Mexican, uh, about the Texas law? In that a, couple of, a couple of different things here is that, so in addition to getting the right to, to opt out of the sale of personal data, it's also going to provide Texas consumers the right to opt out of targeted advertising and profiling and further in furtherance of a decision that produces a legal uh, effect. Um, and so those are, are, are new things that we're seeing here. Um, in addition to that, a data protection assessment is going to be required uh, for controllers that are taking part in targeted advertising 
the sale of personal data, uh, processing of personal data for the profiling purposes, processing sensitive data, uh, which, by the way, is going to include, quote unquote, a known known child data under this definition. And then finally, a, a data protection assessment is going to be required for any processing activities that involve personal data that present a heightened risk of harm to consumers, which right now the beauty is going to be in the eye of the beholder of what that means. Well, maybe some regulations. And who gets to enforce this? Can uh, individuals sue? That, 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 that's an interesting and timely question also here, given the fact that the Texas legislature just impeached uh, the current sitting Texas attorney general. But it's going to be the Texas attorney general that gets to enforce uh, this this uh, law. Well, Mike, Hugo, uh, thank you for taking on uh, this, this question of what happened in May. Well, let's come back in July. We'll look at the at June, and we'll see if data is busting out all over in the in the month of June of 2023. Thanks very much, and for all our listeners, I'll remind you, as I always do, protecting your personal data begins with you. <music>